with my blogging business uh, during its peak, I had three people managing email for 24-7 support. Um, I would go in once a month to sort of clean out the maybe 10 or 20 emails that only I could deal with. Um, and it was just so normal for me. It's like I don't need the mental stress of worrying about missing an opportunity or not following up well enough with the potential client or um, feeling like I, I could be making more sales if I was just more active because that's someone else's job. We know that building wealth comes from owning businesses and making investments. Yet why still do nearly half of businesses fail in the first five years and why do others lose it all in their investments? Welcome to the Wealth Watchers Podcast, your resource for building a massive net worth. We bring real stories from real people who are experts in business and investing who will share secrets and actionable strategies to amassing wealth and achieving success. Brought to you by Happy Camper Capital. And now, your hosts, Justin Hoggett and Adam Lendy. Welcome back to the Wealth Watchers Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Lendy. With me today is my co-host, Justin Hoggett. Justin, how are you doing? Hey, Adam, I'm doing well. Feeling a little lonely now that you're out of the office. Time zone away. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in beautiful eastern Iowa in central time today. How, how are things an hour in the past? <laughs> doing good, man. The weather's great. We're getting ready for some serious fall weather. It's coming. Oh, man. You know, it's overcast and a little drizzly out here today. So it's uh, I guess it's, it's not just in Colorado today. Yeah. All right. Well, Let's let's bring on our guest today. I'm excited to talk about this. This is a topic I think that's been kind of near and dear to us and in, in a lot of our conversations recently, Justin. Uh, but our guest today is Yaro Starak. Um, he's the co-founder and CMO of InboxDone.com. Uh, Yaro, how are you today? I'm well, guys. I'm coming to you from Montreal, so I'm watching the leaves change as well. Awesome. Another time zone represented today. We'll, we'll welcome on with us. Uh, yeah, fall is certainly in the air. So Yaro... Um, you know, I'm pretty excited, like I said, for what you're going to share with us today, because, you know, obviously time is something that's valuable for us and that, you know, we're realizing is a very finite um, resource. Um, so, but before we dive into that, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background and kind of, you know, why does you do what you do? Yeah, the, the story has gotten too long, guys. I mean, I've, I've been online for 20 years and you know what happens with internet years, that's like a hundred years of, of real life. So, um, but the, the, shortened version of a of a story is started in the late 90s the dot-com boom was happening i was 18 in university in australia actually that's how i was born and raised and got into having a website it was actually about a card game called magic the gathering for any of the the gamers listening to this they might know that game it's still hugely popular today um i played it in high school and university don't play it anymore but it was my first ever website topic and uh, it turned out to be my absolute like early training ground for internet marketing, you know, how to get traffic. I had a little e-commerce store. I had an online forum where people were trading cards. And at the best of the years, I made 500 a month in, in kind of revenue, you know, profit margin uh, selling. And then that kind of got me into this idea that, okay, the internet is my, my playground for entrepreneurship. I, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur before that, I just had no idea where and how and what what you know topic or business model to go after. Um, 
wanted to avoid full-time work, having a boss, certainly wanted to avoid alarm clocks, uh, master my own destiny, digital nomad, travel, all that stuff that people love today. Um, before we had those kind of phrases like digital nomad, I was looking for that. After or kind of towards the end of my university studies, I actually started what I call my first real business. It was an online essay, essay and thesis editing kind of platform where I connected academic professors and PhD grads with international students who didn't have English as a first language to provide an editing service, not a writing service. We didn't write essays, but we did provide like academic editing. And uh, my job was the middleman. I was out there marketing the business and, and learning everything I could um, turned into like a full-time income. And best of all, it was my first place where I delegated our topic, I guess, for today. So first time I ever hired a copywriter, first time I ever hired someone to do my email and, and customer service and, you know, website design. I used to do websites myself, but definitely not my superpower and, you know, start to outsource that. And uh, that was the first business that allowed me to travel too. So I did start to travel with it and, uh, you know, run it while I was traveling wherever I might be. But to be absolutely honest, I wasn't in love with the topic of uh, essays and proofreading. It's kind of dry and boring. And uh, the, the, I guess you call it luck, um, the concept of a blog surfaced around 2004, 2005. Um, I won't tell you the whole story, but for the next basically 10 years, 15 years, I'm, I'm still doing it, really. Um, I created a blog, an email newsletter started selling eventually my own course and ebooks and uh, sold about $2 million worth of my own digital products over that career. Um, and then because of, I guess, my exposure to other entrepreneurs and my experience outsourcing and delegating about four years ago, the opportunity or really the idea to, to, and the space to start a new company was there. I was kind of moving away from coaching and teaching in that business and uh, started up inboxdone.com. Uh, you know, initially, like most businesses, as an experiment to see if it could work, if we get clients, if there's a profit margin. Uh, and then there was, that worked out. And, and we've basically been running that company ever since for about four years. And what does inboxdone.com do? So we're basically a specialized virtual executive assistant service. Uh, when I say specialized, we focus on email and anything that's kind of message-based. So uh, direct messages and social media, um, plus your general EA stuff like calendar management, um, data entry. But we really hire and train for the challenge of going into someone else's inbox and dealing with the very personal and sometimes very private and certainly very unique uh, communication that goes on and very important communication that goes on in an inbox. So as you can imagine, you can't just have anyone step in there and start replying to your emails. There has to be a careful handover process. I have to kind of learn how to be you and what you do as a client. So we took the system we built for me. I was like the first ever client, I guess, and uh, made that into a system we could apply to other people. So I don't know about you guys, if you're spending too much time in your inboxes, you know, we basically step in and, and try and get you out of there and, and free up an hour or two or three or whatever uh, we can to break you free and, and simplify your life. It was one of the best things I ever outsourced. So um, it's a fun business to promote. Yeah, I don't spend too much time in my inbox. Uh, my unread count has a comma. So that tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> okay, you're drowning. <laughs> well, I, I don't see it that way. But you know, it's, it's, it's definitely one of those things. It's the bane of my existence is checking and responding to emails. It's more of a triage process for me. So, um, yeah. So I, I'm guessing that this business idea spawned um, from you. You mentioned, of course, a system you were using. Was that while you were with your um, essay editing business? 
Yeah, I guess the germ of the idea was then like I, I, uh, I wanted to have, and you have to kind of give Tim Ferriss credit nowadays for popularizing the idea of a, a digital nomad four-hour workweek lifestyle. Um, he hadn't written his book yet at the time I was starting to do this, but same goal, wanted to have a, a, a muse, as you call it, an income stream business that might not be like a multi-million dollar company that takes 12 hours of my day to run. It's quite automated, um, you know, runs without me as best as I could set it up to do so. And I hadn't reached that point because I was in the inbox um, and you can kind of picture this students writing papers last minute, sending it to us for an edit and proofread with only 12 hours before the paper had to be handed in. I had to be sitting on the inbox, making sure our editor could do the work, get it back in time, click the money. And I'd be, you know, almost like 24 seven in that inbox, um, forwarding emails back and forth between clients and, and the, uh, the editors. So I realized actually when I was on a, a trip, I was traveling down to Sydney for a conference and I spent more time uh, back then. It was internet cafes, uh, checking my email and processing jobs. And I thought, I said, I have to fix this. So I said, I got to outsource email. And that was the first time I tried it. I hired a, a friend of mine who was about to have her first baby. So like a work at home mom situation. And I'll be honest, I didn't know if it would work. It was like, let's put someone in there. I'll teach them. And, and I don't know if they're going to do the job as good as I did. Um, I don't know if they can represent me in that situation. It took about a month to really train them up. And uh, I woke up on a, a Monday after a month of training and, and rolled over to turn on my computer. And as you do, you know, you go to your e email. Maybe you don't, Adam, but you go to your email to like guide your day. What's my starting point to-do list? And there was nothing in the inbox. I actually thought my website was down and broken. And that's why there was nothing in there, but it was because my email assistant had gone in there and you know processed all the transactions, replied to any queries uh, and done everything. So, I, and I never looked back. So transitioning from that business, I eventually sold it and it became much easier to sell because I had all this automation and people in place to run it. Uh, with my blogging business uh, during its peak, I had three people managing email for 24 seven support. Um, I would go in once a month to sort of clean out the maybe 10 or 20 emails that only I could deal with. Um, and it was just so normal for me. It's like, I don't need the mental stress of worrying about missing an opportunity or not following up well enough with the potential client or um, feeling like I, I could be making more sales if I was just more active because that's someone else's job. So really it came about though, finally, because I had the space after not not retiring, but semi-retiring from coaching and, and teaching and creating digital products and meeting another entrepreneur. Um, I was at a networking event in Vancouver, roundtable actually with several entrepreneurs and the lady next to me was like, I wake up in the morning and I do my email for an hour and then I'm at work and I, I'm in and out of my inbox and I go home and put the kids to sleep and I do another two hours in email. And I said to her, listen, I, I I go in once a month and she turned to me with this kind of look of how is that even possible? Everything would break down. It's not possible to do that. And then I explained to her, I have assistants and they're doing this. And, you know, I, I do 5% of my email. They do the 95%. And then I thought this has got to be, you know, a company. And, and that's kind of what led to, all right, let's take this serious. Let's roll it out. Let's build a team. Like we've got a team of 25 uh, email assistants now. And it's been surprising because I thought we'd specialize and we'd, you know, be helping all online entrepreneurs, but we've got car salesmen, uh, dentists, um, candy store owner, restaurant owner, real estate agents, um, you know, property developers. It's just everyone has email. And if they're in the right 
frame of mind and they have the cash flow, they love this idea of handing over what is ultimately a very annoying part of their life and their job. Well, I was, you were kind of going there for a second uh, with, with the types of people that you help out. Um, first of all, like I am um, OCD about my email. I'm, I'm the opposite of Adam. I can't stand if it has a one or anything above that next to the uh, tag, you know, but um, so I, I'm always going through it constantly. I, I, it's like a curse really because um, any ding gets me involved in email again. But um, is, is there any restrictions on the type of business that you do help out? Because I can imagine that different businesses mean different responses and response rates. And, you know, so how does that, how's that look? I, I wouldn't say the business type will dictate whether we can or can't help. Uh, it is surprising despite topics and industries being different, what people get in their inbox is kind of a version of the same thing. You know, we're all dealing with um, spam, emails from friends and family, you know, software updates, newsletters, emails from things we bought, events we're going to attend or not attend. Um, it might be different industries, but it's all the same. And, you know, potential investors, if you're in that space. So what we find more so is actually um, personality type. Like you two are maybe great examples here. Like we'd have to, <laughs> okay, Adam has to first decide he wants to get down to inbox zero and, and you know, <laughs> doesn't need, like he could, maybe there's some opportunities in that inbox that he hasn't gone after. There might be some properties he could be buying or something like that. Um, and, and with you, Justin, the, the reverse, like you might, need to get comfortable with the idea of someone else's job is to clear that twice a day. You know, you don't have to go in there. Like you'd be the kind of person we'd have to force to not go into your inbox and train you to break the habit. So, and that's what we do. Like ultimately a lot of um, our job is tailoring how you interact with your assistants and how you currently, you know, perform your daily tasks and make sure we kind of flow in tandem with that break the bad habits, create the kind of good new habits and teach you how to let go. For a lot of people, that's what it's about, you know, not uh, being like not living your life based on the inbox is my job. That's where I get the you know endorphin hit from getting down to zero in your case, uh, maybe Justin. Um, yeah. And then also uh, realizing it, it's a function in the business that can be done by specialists, which in turn can make you more money or certainly um, give you mental relief, free up time. Like imagine you don't go on your email every day. How many hours are you getting back? What are you doing at that time? It's like, are you writing that book you've always wanted to write or um, creating a new marketing campaign for your business, going to the gym for the first time in many, many months, maybe uh, traveling, you know, digital nomad, seeing family, like actually leaving the office and being 100% present with your family when you're at home. So there's a lot of upside benefit if you break those those email habits yeah so imagine a lot of this is really around building systems because obviously every every entrepreneur every business owner you, you work with is going to have a different style different expectations some emails need to be responded to right away some you know as justin mentioned you know can be responded to later there's gonna be certain processes i suppose i'm, I'm guessing where you know maybe i do want to know about these emails but these ones if you can handle them and i never have to hear about it then all the better right so i, I i'm assuming this is a lot of your assistant then just learning your operation style and building a roadmap is that about accurate yeah you've kind of described what we call a handover uh process there adam so 
We actually assign you two assistants. Um, we want to offer redundancy. So if someone goes on a holiday or gets unwell, you don't have a break in service and they work in tandem together. So what we do is we introduce you to them and then yes, they build a system, but what they first do is they study you. So what's your role? Um, what does your business do? Um, you know, if you, even if you don't own the business, what is your role within the organization? It could be a not-for-profit, for example. And more importantly, what's in your sent folder? How are you currently replying? Um, what are the main, most critical emails you get versus the low-level ones that, like you said, you know, the 90% that probably don't need to be actioned today? And then there's the basics. Yeah, go in there and build reminders, filters, folders, templates. We call it a knowledge base so that there's SOPs, documentation for running your inbox. Uh, and part of this is also figuring out what you should not be doing. So that's where every client could be different. Like some people, they might be good at delegating their tech, but they're still, let's take this podcast. They're still the one who's doing all the outreach. They're still the one who's, you know, doing the manual upload. They're, you know, the one who actually sends the email to the transcriptionist, to the post-production editor. Most of those tasks could be taken over by an assistant who then just does that. They communicate, they forward the email, they upload the file. It takes you out of that process. So it kind of looks at what you're doing and then build a system around that too. So over time, you know, it's not quick. We, we call the handover period a minimum of month, but really it's two, three months of just learning everything you do. And then ideally after a good, maybe one, two, three months, you kind of have a clone, you know, what you used to be in those roles, your two assistants are now in those roles. And uh, it, it can be uncanny because you, you find yourself like I did asking, what do I actually do now? Like, what is my priority tasks? I'm no longer using my email as my to-do list, or I'm no longer in these patterns that I've always, you know, practiced every day. It's like, okay, let's ask myself, what is the highest value activity for me now that those things are off my plate? And that goes beyond just email, obviously delegating other things and, and technical, technical automation helps with that too. I imagine if I had an assistant assigned to me, I might get a hand back on my inbox when they look at that count in there. <laughs> well, we've, we've actually had like, you know, 36,000, 90,000 emails. That being said, we're not going to read every single one and, you know, from start to finish. So that's not a fun job. So. Well, great. Um, I, it's, I, it's an intriguing system and, and I love obviously the premises. Yes. The free up the time. And then of course, you know, the, the main thing is then to make the best use of that time going forward. Um, so I, I, I think your, your angle is very interesting. You know, I guess we're, we're it's kind of a two-sided approach and it almost even sounds like it's a certain amount of coaching with the client too. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, coaching is an interesting word for that. I, I guess the process of cloning you, it, like training, um, like we try and not involve you as a client as much as possible. Like we want to go in there and you've got stamps of what you do everywhere. It's whether how you wrote a reply to this message or how you've set up task management software or even just watching what you do through Slack or, or Teams, you know, you know, how you're assigning tasks and telling people to do things. There's a lot there that we can then take and go, well, let's let me take over that process. You know, why are you the one entering data for this booking of a podcast interview? Let, let me do that. Let me chase up the guest, make sure they provide, you know, the profile picture and et cetera. So, yes, uh, but it, you're right in the sense that your assistants 
also want to feel like they're part of your company too. Like they're, they want to grow, they want to learn, um, they want to see there's a future here. It's not just like they're a, a robot where you're throwing tasks at them randomly. Um, I, I hate using, you know, that kind of um, low level assistant where you don't really consider them as a, a growth team member, but that's definitely our attitude. Like we're hiring for long-term, we're placing for long-term, um, basically our my co-founder claire she spends her entire day along with our our team vetting training hiring testing taking people through an internal course because we keep away 99 percent of our applicants and, and it is hard like um, we're actually constantly struggling to find the right kind of people because it does take emotional intelligence attention to detail got to be in the right situation where you want to maybe work at home and, and have a remote job um, it's like a sweet spot for the right type of person yeah. So now, obviously, you mentioned early on that part of it, too, is keeping the client out of the inbox. Now, that would actually be something for somebody like Justin that you'd have to do. How, how do you go about that? <laughs> well, uh, all but one time, there was one client who literally was like, I can't let go of this drug. I need a hit from my inbox. And um, let's just stop now. That happened early on in our process. And, and we realized uh, for certain people, not all, like we've had a clients who, um, for example, Justin Brook, he's well known in the Google ad space. He was one of our earliest clients. He came in and said, I never want to go on my inbox again. Easy person to work with because you don't have to force him to stop doing those things. But then there'll be other clients who they feel like without seeing what's in the inbox, they're actually missing key aspects of their business. So what we do, maybe that's, that's you, Justin, we make sure we determine what are the key things you feel like you're missing and we make another way if you get that information. So it could be simply compiling some kind of data that's from your inbox, but just dropping it into Slack or Google Doc so that you just can, you know, brain dump, take 10 minutes, read over it. Okay, I understand what's going on. I didn't need to see every email. I just need to know the 5% of really critical things in there. So that's possibly, I'm not sure, don't want to assume anything about Justin here, but that's kind of what we would do in that case. Yeah, that, that's good that you mentioned that because that was going to be the, the question of how to get the information. I mean, yeah, you you know, I'm still, I, I presume, you know, like with, I'd be still running my businesses, you know, so I would need that information and that would be my biggest hesitation, I guess. But yeah. Um, so what, what tasks do you delegate first and how do you figure that out? So most of our clients are email and calendar management first. That's just because that's most of their life uh, with their business. Um, after that, it, it tends to be more related to the specifics of your business. I mean, I could ask you guys, like, what did you spend today doing um, for your business? What were your kind of overall list of tasks? Well, today has been contract work. What does that mean? Like, uh, like working with a lawyer? Yeah. Reviewing contract. Uh, I'm currently editing a contract, uh, for leases. Um, so yeah, just overall, not every day is contract work, but that seems to be today. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, maybe, I don't know how good an example it is, but if there's a part of the contract work that could be delegated to your EA, um, you know, even the reviewing, like, you need to train them like these are the important things to look for. Um, I want you to review them first. And then uh, if you see any red flags, just drop it in Slack and let me know what paragraph in the contract where you saw the red flag. So you, instead of reading every contract from start to finish, 
you read the two paragraphs that they flagged for you. So it's it's often about like that kind of iterative. Um, you know, I love a, I love kaizen. I don't know if you ever studied that concept um, from Japanese manufacturing. It's basically very small incremental improvements across a system over time. They did that with manufacturing, in particular Toyota with cars. I love that in not just a business, but a person's life as well. So if you can just make a free up half an hour here and 10 minutes there and, and five minutes there, the cumulative effect of that starts to have a runoff effect of your productivity and what you produce and therefore your income and the growth of your company. So it's not always obvious, like that contract example might be a good one where instead of an hour or two or three, you spent 45 minutes just reviewing all the red flags, those other two hours you use to find another property that you could acquire or something like that. Sure. Excellent. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, I was going to say for Justin, I thought maybe the solution would be you give him a fake inbox and you just like put like one or two emails in there to let him feel validated that he gets to handle something every day. <laughs> I guess you have to understand the psychology behind the person too. Is it, you know, <laughs> let's not get this wrong. I, I do not want to be that involved in my inbox. It's just, I want it out of my life, out of my way. And, uh, and, and when I get a bunch of junk emails, I want them gone. So I delete, 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 remove re whatever I'm doing and then flagging the ones that need follow up. Yeah. Oh boy. Justin's your guy too, to give you the systems. And you, like you mentioned all the ways he interacts with folders and tagging things and process management, man, he's your guy for that. Yeah. That's actually a great example. Like we come across clients who already are fairly optimized with how they are processing email. But if you take their system we augment it, maybe simplify it a little bit, but then we're the human being who actually goes to the flagged emails and does the replies. That's like the final piece of the puzzle. No longer is it just organized, but you're still doing a role. It's organized and someone else is actually doing all the replying as well. So it's like 100% off your plate. And I think that, I mean, that can be the challenge because some people don't want to let it go. But once you experience it and you see other people writing emails, you look at their replies and you go, you know what? They're replying... And not exactly how I'd say it, but the information is getting passed along the way I need it to. Uh, and then over time, it's actually quite surprising because your assistant's job is to be in there every day. They actually start to get better at it than you were because they see all the different situations over and over again. They start to understand the bigger picture of what you're trying to do rather than you who, yes, you do that email job, but you also have your head in all the other functions of your company. So it's not like your specialty. Um, I love specialization. Like uh, I know you know, coming up one of your questions, I think is about superpowers. And I think that's the most important thing is to find that one or maybe two things that A, you are good at, but B, you enjoy as well. And, and if you can get everything else out of the way, um, I think I spend maybe two hours to four hours a day on those, the thing I really am good at. And the rest of the day, I'm kind of, it's downtime, you know, maybe checking in on the team, but I'm cooking lunch, I'm going for bike rides, you know, it's, it's having that space to be not stressed uh, during the day. And that's what I value more than sometimes the productivity improvement. It's just a lifestyle improvement. Absolutely. Can we, can we go back a little bit on your mindset on all this and and, you know, you've been through a lot of different businesses, a lot of opportunities that you've gone through. And can you talk about the mindset behind each one and, and maybe why you did them and and then really, you know, the stepping stones to the ones you're at now? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a big question. Um, you know, when I started, as most 
people, I think for the topic of your podcast as well, it's like, I need to get survival money. Um, and that's your focus. You know, I just, I need to pay my rent and buy food and, and I want to move out of my parents' house or whatever it is. Right. So, um, that was my goal. And with the editing company and maybe a little bit with the card game business mission accomplished, but then opened up this idea of, well, I'm not like really financially independent here. I'm paying my bills. Plus I'm spending my day growing something that I'm not really passionate about. Like I enjoyed getting it to the point where I'm now surviving financially because I, I can survive, but I'm not excited about taking to the next level. So when I got into the blogging and creating courses and email marketing space, suddenly I was like, wow, I love this business model. I love writing. Uh, I love coaching and teaching, which was so surprising because I never in a million years when I was younger thought of myself as someone who would be a coach or a teacher or a content creator in any shape or form. But then the internet made it such a you know a global place to play with. So, um, and then two things happened. I made more money. Uh, I sold over $2 million worth of digital products with over you know a decade with that business. Um, and I, I enjoyed the process. Uh, and I, of course, I really built a machine so that I could spend most of my time just creating content and have email assistance on customer service, tech people on websites and tech. Um, leaving me with just a core function of content creation and coaching. So th for a long time, that, that was a sweet spot. And then I think maybe when I hit 30, you know, a million dollars net worth at that point, um, money wasn't a stress point. Business was fairly, you know, not hands off, but a really comfortable place. You start asking bigger questions, you know, what's the meaning of life? Where am I really trying to head towards with, you know, my income and my business and my impact? And then those kind of bigger questions, because you're not making them based on I need to survive financially, or I need to worry about my net worth being enough to cover my life. I, you know, I felt not that I was million dollars doesn't sound like a lot, but it certainly sounds like a lot when you don't have a million dollars. Like, you know, <laughs> it's funny, like now I, I, I'm do angel investing and I study venture capital and, you know, billion dollars is like the basic threshold. I would have been stoked to think about a million dollar net worth, certainly at 21, 22, 23, 24, as no doubt many uh, wealth watcher listeners probably are too, right? So, um, but at that point, then I was like, yeah, well, I would, I want to expand the business models I go after. I want to build something that's not about my personal brand, about me teaching, about me coaching. That's a sellable business that helps people experience something that I really enjoy experiencing. So Inbox Done is a good fit for that. It's not going to be my forever business. In fact, probably to kind of close the loop on your, your question, Justin, my ultimate goal was variety uh, as well as stability. So today it's like, okay, angel investing, still have my blogging and podcasting business. I, I do a podcast too called Vested Capital. Um, I've got one business, my main focus, but I'm also thinking about, you know, future. And it's, uh, I have a, a solar power plant I built in Ukraine, you know, investing in crypto and property. There's enough different things going on that I really get a taste of all facets of, um, you know, whether it's wealth creation or, or running a business. So that to me is the most satisfying. It's just knowing that each day could be different and there's always something new and you have resources to go after your ideas. Excellent. Do you have a certain secret to making all these businesses work, even while you're traveling and having a perfect day of bike riding or whatever it is? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, like you mentioned earlier with uh, the, the quadrants, I don't know if that was off air, but we were talking about uh, Kiyosaki's quadrants. Um, 
it wasn't intentional, but I think I moved through it. I'm even thinking about E-Myth, uh, you know, the E-Myth, Michael Gerber. I think he had something similar with starting at technician, moving to manager, then business owner, and then ultimately, I think was like um, investor as well was the term. I didn't see it, but that's kind of the way things evolve too. Like even today, I have a very specific function in Box Done, but there's a machine, a hiring and a training and a value creation machine that my co-founder leads uh, within the team of 25. And that's like runs without me. I don't know half the people we've hired. I don't know how our clients are interacting on a daily basis with our team. So it's it's running without me. And, and that's kind of the like, uh, it's satisfying, a little worrying because you're like, I, I part of my brain, I guess like you, Justin, I want to know everything going on in all aspects of what I'm an owner of, but that's not realistic as well with, with so many people involved. So, um, and then with angel investing and, and property and crypto, as, as, as you guys know, it's an asset class that doesn't require your labor. It just requires a bit of management around the, whatever it is, the financials or delegating or the hiring or the you know law, legal structure. And uh, after that, you kind of either set and forget or just manage with a light touch. And um, that's why you can do it all. Like nothing takes eight hours a day. And that's why you can go on a bike ride. You have good teams. You delegate well. You have multiple sources of income, asset base. Um, it sounds so easy to say it now, like this took forever <laughs> to get to this point. <laughs> but it, it has been uh, kind of like the ultimate goal, I guess. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad you mentioned uh, Kiyosaki's cash flow quadrant. You know, we were talking about that beforehand. But you know, as people move from that S to B, from that you know self-employed or small business owner to the big business owner, I, and and a lot of people are very successful in that S quadrant. You know, a lot of solopreneurs, you know, do very well. And you you mentioned, of course, yourself being in that mode of making survival money. Um, you know, and, and of course, once we've I guess ascended beyond that tier in Maslow's hierarchy, so to speak. Um, and we're getting to the point where we can start thinking higher level, you know, really the, the way to grow into that B is to delegate. And, and, and I guess for somebody who hasn't done that yet, no, no matter how successful they are, it, um, what's the best way to begin delegating? You know, it's easy for me to remember the, the time in my kind of entrepreneur career when I knew I had to delegate, but I didn't want to spend the money. Like I, I was tight. I felt like I needed to keep every penny I could. So I would try and do everything myself. And then eventually, partially because of books, you know, certainly some of the examples we've already talked about, um, peers just seeing why their companies were growing and mine was sort of hitting a, a plateau. I realized I was my own roadblock. And even if I had to take 10,000 of my yearly income towards a contractor to build my websites, to manage my customer service and email, um, one-time fee of $2,000 to write the copywriting on my sales page, you know, these kind of expenses, the payoff was growth. And ultimately that's what led to me finally making the choice. I had to, you know, generate enough cash flow to start doing that. Like, I feel like you have to kind of grow into it by doing a lot yourself, but then you, and I'll be, I want to clarify too. I tried to do as much with technical automation, not just delegation. Like for me, especially with, um, especially my blog coaching business, it's a very elegant business model. So you have emails delivering content, making sales of a digital course that's delivered digitally. Um, you only need maybe one customer service person and one website designer. And I was like 
that's it, two contractors and me for a, a good number of years. And I was setting up autoresponders, um, as much digital automation as possible so that there was cash flow. A um, little bit of a cliche, making money while you sleep. It is kind of true. The number of times I woke up and there were sales notifications in my email, it's, it's a bit of a buzz to get that, but that's because you built a machine from the technology available today online. And then with that technology, that cash flow, you can actually start to invest in the people talent you might need. And obviously, um, because I've seen the, the venture capital world, almost everything with growth is human capital. Like it really comes down to your ability to hire the most talented people with a, a scale business. You know, it's the getting the right executive team on board. It's getting the right engineers on board. That's kind of like the modern challenge um, with the company is, is that talent equation. So it's two ends of a spectrum. Obviously at that end, you've got maybe 5 million of venture capital, so you can hire like crazy, but you have to find these good people versus all the way back at the start, like myself, when I was in my twenties, I'm making 50,000 a year. If I spend 20, I've almost taken half of my salary, but I have to see that as a stepping stone towards 100,000 a year because I'm, I'm outsourcing and growing. So definitely a mindset shift though. Can you go into details about your hiring process? Because you know, you just mentioned you, you keep, I think you said 1% of all applicants. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's a pretty small percentage. And at the same time, I totally understand that because um, I do feel like it's hard to find people that can uh, forward think and see farther than in front of their nose and respond accordingly and whatnot. So, so explain how you've built this team and, and you know, how, how, what are the processes you've gone through to do that? Yeah. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I sucked at it. Like this is actually one of those situations where I need to solve my own problem first because I'm failing at hiring. So um, I, I won't go into the long story, but after many, many failed attempts at filling a certain role with, with my blog coaching business, I realized I have to hire someone to hire for me because I am not good at this role. So I focused on that. Um, my first hire in that role was my, my friend, Laura. She still works with us with Inbox Done Today. And Laura, with some initial instruction from me, basically built a hiring system that we then took into Inbox Done and, and further uh, improved on. Um, in a nutshell, we, today it's like a 10-step process, but I can highlight the most important things. One is making sure that you have a process that's front-facing. So, you know, they land at your jobs page. And that does a good job, first of all, to actually pitch. You know, it's a sales page to make sure the person who is an A player who's motivated is excited about working for your company. Um, I, I really do see that as like you pitching, not like you want the best person, but you're the best company and the best team and culture to work for. So, you know, whatever is important, we talk about the remote work aspect of it, the flexibility of it, um, the long-term focus of it, the potential for growth, you know, who you're going to be working with. So all those sorts of things are at the starting point. And then we put up a wall. So basically the application process is a testing process so that we keep away a lot of the people, you know, even simple things like if someone emails a question, like, how do I get a job with you? That almost disqualifies them pretty much more often than not, because they haven't looked on our website, clicked the jobs page and filled out the form to begin the process, you know? So we have a lot of disqualifiers like that. Um, simple things like we're dealing with email. So we give them, here's an email situation. Uh, how would you deal with it? How would you write the reply? Um, how would you work with the client? So we have some hoops like that to jump through. Um, they go through all of that. And then the best who make it at the end of the testing and vetting process 
then they move on to an actual first interview. So we don't even see anyone unless they've already pre-qualified themselves through, you know, those two, two steps. Um, from there, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the interview itself is a little bit about assessing the personality, um, just confirming what we've already kind of discovered about their skill sets, uh, making sure there's alignment about direction and expectations around salary and growth and things like that. Uh, and then we still do some more testing. Um, often that's more specific skill-based. Uh, obviously, if your company has, like, you need to have good Excel skills or you need to have good at something else skills, we, we test that. Um, and then finally, and this is where I think is a, a real secret sauce for us, before they work for a client and we call them hired, we actually have a course uh, that my co-founder, Claire, who's our first ever email assistant, she was one of my team members, uh, she kind of knew the job so well, she created this course that's like a, a video training series on how to be an inbox manager and how to work with a client. Because it's a kind of specialized skill, not general VAs and EAs don't start with email as a specialty. So we have them go through that. They get paid for that. It's like paid training. And then they pop out at the end. And then the, the final step, once they actually work with the client, is they'll have a senior assistant working with them. So they always have someone who's kind of knows the ropes as well. So it's very much like, a, I hate saying it's like a factory that we push them through and keep away the bad people and find the good people and then try and really you know support them, educate them and, and get them comfortable to work with the client. Uh, and I think that can work for any business. Like it worked for my coaching business as well. How many of your clients, uh, this is their first time delegating and how many are folks who are just now, you know, have already delegated other parts of their business and they're just optimizing and tweaking their lifestyle? It's a real mix. Um, you know, we have a small business owner who might be doing multiple six figures to multiple seven figures and they have a small team, you know, they're lean, maybe 10, 20 people. Um, possibly they've already got an EA. Like we do work with sometimes a founder and the EA we take the email and some of the digital stuff off their plate and the EA gets free to do more EA stuff for, for the founder. But then on the flip side, we'll sometimes get a, a manager or a C-suite, like a CEO, and they don't own the company, but they're high enough within the company. They have the budget and they're just a productive person. You know, They know that in order to excel in the role they do, they need to get away from email and, and other tasks. So they bring on us and they probably have um, some support services being the CEO, they have their own team. But for some reason, email is not the logical thing to delegate for a lot of people. It's not the first thing you think, even though if you look at the time during the day, for a lot of founders and CEO manager types, that's actually where they spend their day. Uh, so I, I love it when you get someone who's super motivated knows the power of delegating, doesn't need to be convinced, is just ready to break free. Um, and they're like, I've been looking for you for my entire life. You know, it's like a marriage kind of situation. So I was happy with that. And I would say, I mean, this is email is one of the biggest distractions and productivity killers, you know, and which is why I, I make it a point to really check it as little as possible. Because one, one thing I do know is that the reorientation period, every time we get distracted from our highest and best work is about 20 minutes. So if we're checking our email once an hour, we're potentially spending a third of our hour just getting back to what we're doing. That could kill a great chunk of our day, um, which you mentioned, of course, Tim Ferriss earlier on. And I, I loved one of, one of my biggest takeaways from the four hour work week was when he mentioned putting the autoresponder on. 
that says you will reply to your emails at these times per day. So you're setting the expectation that people aren't going to get a quick reply from you. So it frees your mind up. So, you know, I don't know if that's a first step or if that's any part of the process or if it's just better just to hand the keys to the inbox over to the, the assistant. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, Definitely had that signature on my email at some point. I mean, it's so funny. You you get a reply like that. You always know there's a four-hour work week reader. <laughs> you know, it's just always happens. Um, yeah, I think it's a step one, but it actually works great in tandem with an assistant because then you're training your recipients to know that, yes, there will be a reply. It's actually going to come from your assistant, but it'll be within this block of time. Um, and that works well because mostly for like our company, our assistants will clear your inbox twice a day, you know, maybe once in the morning and once in the late afternoon. Um, we're not going to sit there and be 24 hours a day looking at your inbox to make sure you, you know, you get a five minute reply to every email. So it's training your recipients to not expect that as well. And we've have had to break. Uh, I know we had an accountant recently and she said, I would, I just couldn't, maybe this is you, uh, Justin, I couldn't, uh, hear that ding on my phone knowing there's an, an email there and not write back within 15 minutes. It just didn't feel right. So we had to break her of, of that habit and also retrain her recipients that Linda, in this case, is not going to get back to you in 15 minutes to every single message you always sell. That's unrealistic. Um, you always send, sorry. So let's make this more like you'll get a reply in 24 hours as a maximum. That That's realistic. And, and uh, most people are totally fine with that, you know. Well, so many people do seem to use email these days as a way of communication and chatting almost. And and I've even seen some software solutions out there that kind of cater towards that type of reaction and chat. So, I mean, have you seen that as well? And, you know, is the training of recipients hard? Uh, no, I think it's a fairly straightforward, you know, uh, people just know they're going to get a reply. I mean, you can be proactive, like having that signature and having some kind of um, expectation management. Uh, what's dangerous, I think, is like you just said, email turns to chat um, the way kind of Slack is or Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp. Um, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I always feel that requires the instant response. Like if you write a reply and then they reply and then you stop replying, it's, it feels like it's rude. Where in email, it's like you write a reply you know, okay, if, if you if you normally get a reply straight away and then you reply straight away, then it's bad because it's like this never ending back and forth, right? And you don't know who's going to stop first. But with email, it's not like chat where if you've trained and people know 24 hours is reasonable, especially, um, I, I know I get used to this too. It's almost like a time of day. You start expecting to get a reply. Like I work with assistants. I know what time they start. That's when things tend to get processed. And uh and I know that's when I need to work with them too, if I need to. So I think, you know, you have to train your clients and your people to expect that. You know, I, I blame uh, some of our technology for this too. I mean, I, you know, the, the notifications we get have, have turned us into Pavlov's dog. You know, we hear the ding, you know, we start salivating, you know, J Justin has to get into his inbox and get that thing handled right away. So he's got no red bubble. The reality is we can turn those notifications off. You can even turn that red bubble with the unread count off. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's an interesting world that we've gotten in and that we've become conditioned to feel like we have to respond to these. And, and so I think you're absolutely spot on setting that expectation. And, you know, this is something I've worked with with uh, coaching clients of mine in the past, you know, where they've had their productivity killed by checking email. And the question I always ask is I said, well, you know, okay, you're laying in bed in the middle of the night you hear someone breaking into your house. You need to get a hold of the police. How do you contact them? 
you call them on the phone, of course, right? You don't send them an email, right? It's not urgent. So, you know, e- email can wait. <laughs> it's almost like, um, you know, stories on social media. I feel like that's the other aspect where it's, it's like a one second video, but there's always another one to look at. So we've kind of been trained for that kind of rush of a little quick hit and, and email, especially as a business owner. I, I know I experienced this. I get payment notifications in email. So that is a major endorphin hit in the brain. So I want more of that. I want every day to see a new client booking or a new sale. So you have to also train your own brain not to, to, to crave that, just like drugs or alcohol almost, you know. Yeah, well, I, I'm excited by this. I think this is, you know, the business you've built is brilliant. I think the, the the concept, especially if you, you know, see the cost benefit of this and utilize that time appropriately, I mean, you you can massively offset the investment in, in having that assistance. So yeah. uh, brilliant concept. And I really appreciate you sharing today, Yarrow. Oh, thanks, guys. I really appreciate being able to talk for so long about this topic, too. So that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we let you go, and, and I'll give you an opportunity to share how we can get in touch with you at the end, um, I'm going to turn it over to Justin for the Wealth Watchers Brain Fix so we can dig a little bit, a few more nuggets out of you. <laughs> All right, Yarrow, we have um, five questions for you. Uh, as you hinted, the first one is, uh, what is your uh, superpower or unique natural ability? Yeah, it's definitely been content uh, writing in particular for me. Um, not I think it actually was a natural ability that got honed and crafted from writing blog posts and email newsletters over and over and over again for like, you know, a decade plus. Um, But I didn't see that coming. Like, that's one of those things where you're like, okay, uh, I'm enjoying telling stories. And then I start to learn about copywriting and headlines and call to actions and all these things. And suddenly it's this superpower and you know the internet it's full of words so that's a very useful superpower to have if you know how to use words that's right yeah if you were to go back three to five years what might you have done differently that you wish you could have yeah that's so many things you know i i i definitely struggled with um self-doubt around how a business is going to go uh, and always in hindsight, I look back once I've devoted whatever it is, the three, four five, six years that you actually need to get somewhere of significance. I've gone like, oh, yeah, of course it took that long. Oh, now I'm excited to keep growing it. But those first one, two, maybe three years, that's when you think, no, maybe I'll do this business idea instead and I'll do this one. So I'm definitely um, wish I committed more to an idea once I knew there was traction, even during the highs and lows uh, and having that kind of you know, that focus. Excellent. It's good uh, hindsight. Where are you headed the next three to five years? I mean, inboxdone.com, my company right now is definitely that time frame focused. So uh, it's simply a case of like, I'm the marketing officer. So I'm always like trying to solve the, how do we find new people problem? Um, but I'm constantly re- reinforced by how people value the service. So every time I get on a discovery call and someone says, I've been looking for this my whole life. I'm going to stay with you forever. Um, And then obviously proof of concept, they actually experience it. They tell their friends, there's word of mouth. Um, I'm encouraged then that we've got something of value. I don't know if beyond five years, I probably want to move on to something else and, you know, maybe sell this company. Um, But I have so much variety in, in my life too right now, you know, you might have an angel investment that hits a big exit and suddenly you're like, okay, well, there's, there's all this capital to play with. Who knows? You know, you can suddenly start a whole new SaaS software company or something like that. 
Excellent. Do you have a favorite book on business or money? Yeah, it's changed. Like, I think for me, it was super important to read, like we mentioned the E-Myth uh, earlier, um, The Richest Man in Babylon, The One Minute Millionaire, plus a whole bunch of bios. Like for me, I, hate, I know this is not one book, but I really benefited from reading bios of uh, other entrepreneurs. So like I went crazy in my 20s reading like the founder of Hershey's, of Starbucks, of eBay, of Amazon, of Google, of Facebook, uh, of smaller companies you wouldn't have heard of. Um, and that was huge for just reinforcing belief that this is possible and understanding the steps they went through. I think that to me was critical. Um, the, the first ones, like the richest man in Babylon and the you know, cash flow quadrant and, and rich, uh, rich dad, poor dad, those are like more conceptual, ah, this is how you get rich and how you sustain wealth. And that's important when you're green and you're fresh and you, you think the only way to make money is a job. But after that, I needed more practical, tangible examples. And today that's the same. Like I still love bios more than anything. Uh, and that's where I think I, I learned the most other people's lives. Awesome. And uh, last one, what has been your biggest aha moment? Yeah, I, I, whenever I answer this question, I tend to go a bit deep. So I warn you guys here. So um, I, I had this aha moment that it is a business aha, but it doesn't look like it at first. It just happened to apply later on. So to set the scene, I was um, kind of in a dark place in life for maybe around 20, early 20s, 21, 22. And, and I say that I wasn't homeless or anything like that, but it was like lack of confidence in my direction. My friends had taken full-time jobs after graduating from university. I had a, businesses that weren't making enough money to survive. You know, you're living with your parents. Uh, and more than anything, just what is the meaning of life? Big questions that you ask in your early 20s and maybe even later too. But I was really deep in, in that kind of um contemplation. And I went to Google and typed in what is the meaning of life because Google has all the answers, right? So unfortunately, this doesn't come up as the first result anymore in Google. But at the time it did, it was this very basic plain text website written by some philosophy professor at an American university somewhere. And it had these um, questions like, are you asking this because you're thinking about suicide? Or are you asking this because someone you know recently died? Are you asking this because you feel like you have no direction in your life? And you can click each link and there's like a really amazing sort of philosoph philosophical, it would dive into spirituality and metaphysics, but not too deep, but, but just enough. But the conclusion and the big aha that I took away was almost from the very start of this document was this simple idea that you choose your interpretation of the events around you and if you want to be happy it's simply a choice and on the reversal of that if you're unhappy you're actually choosing that as well you're choosing to interpret your circumstances and make that uh, you know reference and then feel that way and that was very empowering to me um like i went away with that going okay it's not anything external it's me no matter how bad things are i can always choose happiness and focus on positivity from there, I really started to study positive psychology a bit more and reinforce that with data and, and science. But the basic idea of um, like reframing an NLP, that's basically what I was doing. And then it helps so much because you start a business and you get a client, then you lose a client. And then you get a client and then you lose a client. Uh, the website goes down, you know, something, you lose a deal, whatever. These bad things happen. And I would previously, I'd roll with the roller coaster. Every loss is like, oh my God, the end of the world. Every win is I'm the hero of my own story here, right? But then I could reframe and get more stable 
because of this aha moment go, you know what, I'm just going to keep choosing to be more, not, not even like choosing always to be happy, just choosing always to be calm and, um, you know, grateful people say, but really just present in the process I'm going through and enjoy the journey as they say. So, and then you start reading books like the alchemist by Paulo Coelho and live in the moment and it all gets reinforced as well. So for me, that was, and still remains the most important aha moment because life is a roller coaster. Yeah, that was an important learning you had to uh, realize that life's not happening to you. Yeah. Right. That's, that's very, that would be a very much victim mindset. So it sounds like you realized you had to take control. So that's. I realized I had control, you know, it wasn't like before that you sort of just things happen and you react where now it's like things happen. You choose how to react very, very subtle, but very important difference. Excellent. Thank you, Yarrow. Very, very insightful. I appreciate the stories and your information. Thanks, Justin. And thanks, Adam. Okay. So Yaro, um, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, how can they reach you? So if the, the fantastic conversation about email has inspired you to delegate that, then inboxdone.com, uh, book a discovery call. You'll actually speak to me. I'm, I'm the, the call guy. Uh, and for just more of like the general journey stuff, I do have my blog and my podcast still. That's at yaro.blog, Y-A-R-O. Dot B L O G. Wonderful, Yarrow. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Grateful for your insight, for your stories, and really excited to check out Inbox Done. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. This has been another episode of the Wealth Watchers podcast from your co hosts, uh, Adam Lundy and Justin Hoggett. Appreciate you listening. All right, guys. Until next time, thanks a lot. This has been the Wealth Watchers podcast. If you enjoyed this content, please subscribe and leave a review on your podcast player of choice. Join us on Facebook where our members and guests are actively engaging in discussions on wealth-growing strategies by searching for Wealth Watchers Community on Facebook.